right, time for us on this Monday morning to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. And good morning, Simi. Okay, so did you feel this earthquake on Vancouver Island? Uh, well, you know, Simi, I'm a trained observer and a professional. I've heard this. Yes. So when I looked uh, this morning at the feed and went, there was an earthquake last night, and Keith Baldry <laughs> felt it, uh, I felt nothing. And so I looked back at the uh, time log and I concluded that the reason I felt nothing is. Uh, it's kind of a pathetic excuse, but um, I was on the exercise bike watching a movie, and any tremors were my aging knee complaining, why are you doing this to me? So uh, I felt nothing. I hope it was a good movie. Like, what movie were you watching? <laughs> Heaven's Gate. That's an oldie. That's a really oldie. <laughs> you ever seen it? Yes, of course. Chris Christopherson, right? The 216-minute version uh, compiled by Michael Cimino before he died. I don't know if it was 216 minutes, but I definitely watched it. It's a masterpiece. It, it's a brilliant, brilliant movie that was unfairly denounced and reviled when it came out oh, more than 40 years ago. Um, just a visually brilliant, great cast, a wonderful story. So there you go, a recommendation. I will. Like, I know I've watched it, in fact, not that long ago, probably about five years ago, which was the first yeah. time I'd watched it in its entirety. It was the, I think it was like it was a restored version that came out at that yeah. time. Yep. I, and that's Chris Christopherson, right? That's Chris Christopherson. Great performance. Terrific soundtrack. And there's a couple of scenes in it that are just, Magnificent, including the fiddler roller skating in the roller rink called Heaven's Gate. No, it's a great film. Christopher Walken, a really, really right. good movie. Yep. Okay, I'm going to add that to my rewatch list for sure. Uh, let's talk some politics this morning, too, because obviously that just keeps on going, including the Premier taking another run here at the BC Conservatives. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of New Democrats are just welcoming the presence of. Uh, the B.C. Conservatives, knowing very well they're going to split the vote with uh, B.C. United, or expecting and hoping they will, embarrassing Kevin Falk. And the Premier is really interesting on this. So the second time last week, he took a serious run at the Conservatives. Uh, the first time was in the House. Uh, the second time was in the press conference on open drug use on Thursday, and near the end, uh, the Premier gets a couple of questions about the Conservatives, and he lets fly. He says, yes, 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 I know uh, they could benefit the NDP, but he said, I am distressed at the Don, uh, the contribution of the Conservatives to the legislature their first week there. He accuses them of promoting toxic behavior, of courting lies, of spreading misinformation. He says, uh, this is like it's an incredible attack. He says they are contributing to importing the U.S. culture war into the United States, and he David Eby fears that the Conservatives will, are a threat to democracy. They will make it harder to govern British Columbia. So he's not on the fence on this one. This, is, uh, this goes beyond criticism of something the Conservatives said. This is branding the whole party a threat to democracy. And that's, as you point out, really interesting because... Yeah, that could be a benefit to the NDP. Yeah, no, I, you know, I talked to a couple of people about it, and, and, and this went beyond uh, the sort of perfunctory comments that politicians make uh, where they think the other side got it wrong. This, 
This, I think, is David Eby speaking from the heart. Uh, you may think he's rhetorically over the top. You may think he's unfair to just John Rustad, and I think it's debatable whether the conservatives have already shown themselves to be a threat to democracy. But the fundamental thing I'm hearing from David Eby here is that he looks south at the United States and sees that their political system is increasingly paralyzed on some issues involving the culture wars and you can look it up to see all the issues there you know he says it hasn't helped the united states it's hurt political discourse down there it's made it harder to govern the united states and he fears that the conservatives by opening up these debates over soji and what books are in school libraries and other social conservative issues he thinks the Conservatives will make it harder to govern British Columbia. And at the same time, though, you've got BC United, where they're just kind of, they're, they're not going to pay that much attention to the BC Conservatives. Yeah, I mean, BC United, they're downplaying the significance of the opinion polls that show the Conservatives uh, ahead of them already. There's a poll last week that showed Leger that showed the, the BC United in third place. Uh, Kevin Falcon is saying that, BC United hasn't had time to establish its name change yet, that many of the people who say they're voting conservative, 40% of them don't even know there's been a name change. He says that John Rusted is mainly surfing a wave created by Pierre Polyev and the Federal Party. So while he's downplaying the significance of the conservatives, as I said, David Eby is going beyond the usual mm. bounds of politicians attacking each other, and he's saying John Rustad and the Conservatives are toxic and uh, a threat to fundamentals of British Columbia democracy. And we are back now with Vaughn Palmer for the Vancouver Sun. There's always more BC politics to talk about. And it's interesting, Vaughn, that all this discussion about bail reform, and we haven't really moved that ball forward. No, we haven't. We've been talking about this for over a year now. We've had the horror stories. Uh, you know the narrative, uh, some act of mayhem or violence by a repeat offender. Uh, he's arrested. Uh, prosecutors look at it and go, there's no point in laying charges. The courts will let them out. Or they go in front of a judge and the judge citing directives of the Supreme Court of Canada and the criminal code and says, "Not, nah, we have to let them out. So, and they're back on the street and more mayhem, more violence, repeat, repeat, repeat. It's a, it's such a familiar narrative that it's hard to keep straight all the details of all the cases, but there are a lot of them. So David Eby, uh, yesterday or last week in the House, uh, first week of question period, the Liberals' opposition, uh, the party formerly known as the Liberals, BC United, uh, brings up the latest case. It's been well reported on Global. Why does this keep happening? They accuse the New Democrats of running a revolving door justice system. As I say, this is a familiar narrative. Premier gets up and says, well, that's why we've been pressuring Ottawa for reform of the criminal code to make it harder for repeat and violent offenders to get bail. We know that story, too. Last spring, the federal government brought in legislation to do just that, then didn't pass it. But they passed it first day back in fall parliament. All parties supported it. So after all that, Simi, why is it still happening? Because the reform still 
hasn't happened. Even though Parliament, House of Commons, passed the legislation, it's still before the Senate. It hasn't passed the Senate yet. And until it does, you can talk about it all you want, but the reform is not there on the books. The hands of the judges are still tied and of prosecutors, and so we keep getting this narrative again and again and again. It sounds like with the Senate, they've decided that they have some questions about it. Yes. So the Senate's uh, Legal and Constitutional Affairs uh, Committee is holding hearings on the legislation. So all that really happened last month when Parliament sat for the fall session is House of Commons, uh, the elected members of the House of Commons under extraordinary pressure from their constituents, all parties agree to put the bill through the House. So Bill C-48 passes and when it's law, it should make it harder. Uh, sure, it should make it easier to withhold bail from repeat and violent offenders. Should. We haven't tested that yet. But the Senate is uh, independent, and the senators aren't accountable to the public because they're there for until they're 75, and they're holding hearings on it. And there have been a bunch of hearings. Uh, our Attorney General of British Columbia, Nikki Sharma, addressed that committee by virtual hookup on Thursday of last week, about the same time as the Premier was being asked about this in the House. And she told the Senate that, get on with it, basically. Uh, she says she was respectfully listened to and that she answered all their questions. But I note going over the number of other people that have spoken to that committee, Simi, is that the witness list was pretty heavily stacked with uh, civil liberty advocates, justice reform, progressive voices, lawyers, all of whom say this is not the way to go. It will simply be declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court of Canada or and or it will lead to greater incarceration of people from marginalized groups, particularly indigenous people. So there's still a lot of opposition to this uh, and it's not clear when the Senate is going to act and it's not even 100% clear that they will act. So, Vaughn, what do you think was the Liberal liberal government's purpose in this then, in, in saying, yeah, we're just going to send it through to the Senate, we're all done with it? Like, well, do they want the Senate to hold it up because they were trying to get the premiers off their back? Like, what what is this all about? Well, you know, that's an interesting way to put it. I think they were trying to get both groups off their back. I think they were trying to get the opponents of this off the back their back by saying, hey, you want to go talk about what's wrong with this bill? The Senate's going to hold hearings, uh, so go talk to them. And I think they were also saying to the provinces uh, and to their own constituents that, hey, we're dealing with this. We brought in the legislation. Don't complain to us. Uh, tell, your, tell your senator to do something with it. I mean, I think the momentum is still there, Sammy, to get this done. But will it be in place by the end of the year? And the other thing, Simi, if you look at the critics of this thing, and they are uh, a minority in the country, but lots of them, especially in the universities and the, you know, the academic community and uh, justice reform advocates, there's, uh, I'm sure, a group of lawyers out there just circling, waiting to get these cases in front of the judges and send the whole thing back into the court system in hopes that the Supreme Court of Canada will say, nope, this doesn't pass muster and let all these people out again. So this doesn't sound like it's going anywhere. 
Well, you know, I think it's not 100% fair for the opposition to blame the government. The government has tried, the New Democrats. It took them a while to come around, I give you that. Uh, but it, it, they are trying to do something now. But, you know, if the, if the, the judges are independent, uh, they're beyond reach. Uh, the prosecutors, well, you know, the province has been telling prosecutors to err on the side of opposing bail for repeat violent offenders. But the province's own statistics, Simi, show that in a lot of cases, the prosecutors are arguing uh, to say, don't grant this person bail, and bail is granted. And the person immediately goes out and ignores their bail conditions. So there's a real struggle going on here about judicial philosophy and the way forward and it's not clear how it's going to come out, whether or not this is really going to solve the problem that, you know, I do think the government set out to try to solve this problem, at least minimize the number of horror stories out there, left itself open to the charge that the opposition is making, which is that, you know, they're running a revolving door justice system. But when the premier says, hey, we're trying to get the law changed and the Premier said last week he's sorry that Parliament didn't put the law through last spring, sent his Attorney General down to tell the Senate to get on with it. They are trying to lobby to get the legal change in place. It's just taking a lot longer than they thought it would. All right, Vaughn, thank you for that. Bye-bye, Simi.